This is the single hardest identity change that the Christian faith uh, forces into our lives or, or creates within us, and it's very difficult. Jesus didn't just preach this, drop the mic and walk away, dramatically trying to emphasize you need to think different, because he also lived it. And there's just two or three little things I want to do tonight to show you how and when Jesus lived it and how he's trying to model for us what this looks like in a practical way. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm determined to make Sunday night's uh, lessons a little shorter. I thought I'd get something out of that. It just takes a little longer to create a shorter sermon. And I know that doesn't make sense to anybody, but it, it takes a little longer to do that. But I want to start at Mark chapter 8. If you turn to Mark chapter 8, this weird scene, uh, and we debate this a lot about why this happened. There's this blind man that comes to Jesus and, and wants Jesus to give him sight. And uh, he begged him to touch him and give him sight, right? In verse 29 of Mark chapter 8. He took that blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Why? Why would you drag him out of town? And then when he would spit on his eyes, which is gross, he laid his hands on him and he said, Do you see anything? And the guy said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. It's like a two-part healing. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, don't even, uh, don't even uh, a village now. So we're asking ourselves, what in the world is this? It's right smack dab in the middle of Mark's account of the gospel. And it's just weird. Nobody does this. Why does Jesus have to touch the guy twice? What, was the first thing deficient? Was his faith weak? And the answer to that is no. He's preparing us. He's using this guy. It did happen this way. But he's using this guy like a parable. Because immediately after that, the, he asked the disciples, who do you think I am? Who do you see me to be? You've been with me now long enough. Who do you think that I am? What is your conclusion? And Peter is the one who says it. You're the Christ. And this is great. He's got spiritual sight to see who Jesus is. In the very next moment, after he's finally got them to see who he is, he says, now let me tell you what I'm here to do. Verse 31. To kind of clear up their vision because they have very particular ideas of what they think the, the Christ is going to do. Just knowing who he is doesn't solve the problem. You've got to know what he's here to do. And so Jesus starts saying, he went on to his disciples, uh, he began to teach them, the Son of Man has to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said this plainly. You know why? Because once he had them understanding who he was, he could talk clearly about what that meant. And here... Peter, who just looked at him and said, I believe you are the last king God has over his people. You are the king. And then when he says, this is what the king's going to do. He's going to suffer and die and be rejected and all that. And Peter says, no, you're not. Peter took him aside. Isn't that interesting? He kind of took him away from the others, just like Jesus did the blind man. Took him away from the others. He took him aside and he began to rebuke him. He's rebuking the one he just said was God's chosen one. You can't start rebuking the one who's your king. That's not what you do. But it's what he did. And what, is say, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus looks at the other disciples while also looking at Peter and he rebuked him. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. 
And there you have it. There's the things of man, and there's the not so with me. I'm going to do the kingdom of God thing. And there you have the two ways to choose it. Because here's the thing. Peter didn't want a Messiah who was going to lose. I don't want a, a Messiah who, I want a, I want a king who's majestic and charismatic, and he's going to win and bring his power to bear on the world. But that's not the kind of king we've got. We've got a king who came to this earth and lost. We gather around a table to celebrate a king who lost for the moment. And he tells us if we're going to be his followers, we got to be willing to lose. We got to be willing to be weak. We got to be willing to go last. We got to be willing to serve rather than lead in the world's terms. And so here he is, Peter's confession. He's, all he's thinking is, I'm thinking man's kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're not in man's kingdom anymore. Once you settle who I am as the Messiah, you're in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of man. What's this look like? What's this look like? John chapter 13, here's a picture. You know, Jesus did this a couple of times. He sent people in ahead of him, and he organized a meal. And every time he did, all the details were just like Jesus wanted them. He orchestrated them exactly right. On this meal, it was, no, it was no different. This was the Last Supper. And so as these disciples, and we already know the conversation that led to the, before this thing, the conversation was, who's the greatest? And then they go into this room to have the Last Supper. And every time a Jew entered a room, they automatically stuck their feet up because somebody was at the door to wash their feet because that's the way you're supposed to do it in the first century. When they walked into this room, after just having this raging conversation and debate among themselves, who's the greatest, they walk into this room and they stick their feet up and there's nobody washing their feet. Jesus must have overlooked the servant at the door, or did he? Was this part of the plan in the first place? And so as they walk in the room, they're sitting there going, somebody needs to wash feet, but you know what? Not one of them did it, and you know why? Because it would throw them out of the discussion about who's the greatest. I can't be the greatest and be seen washing these other guys' feet. I would lose my greatest and running for the greatest card. I would lose my man card if I'm out there washing the feet of these guys, and so I'm not going to do it. And nobody did it, and they sat down to eat until there was somebody who did it. It was Jesus himself. Now here's a question for you. When Jesus took that towel off and he began to wash their feet, did he become no longer the greatest person in that room? Or was he still the greatest person in that room? The kingdom is a funny thing. You can serve and you can go last and you can lose in this world and still be the greatest in the room in the kingdom. That's the funny opposites of the way the kingdom works and the way God says. So in John chapter 13, we see Jesus who, who, who takes the worldly definitions, and by all worldly definitions, he looks like the lowliest in the room, but everybody knows it's not true because of who that man is washing those feet. Illustration number two, we move to the garden now, in the garden of Gethsemane, and there he is, and he's struggling. He's struggling mightily. You know this because of the the repetition, the three times. He took the certain apostles in a little further along with him. Going a little further, he fell on his face. 
So he took a f- the three a little further, and then he went still further, and he fell on his face. Don't buy the painting of the glorious, majestic mane of Jesus propped against the rock and peacefully uh, uh, in the spotlight of heaven, uh, of God from the moon. It's not like that. If you want to see Jesus in the garden, he's completely face in the dirt. My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. What I really want, God, I'm, 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 about, I'm about self-preservation. I'm about comfort. I'm about not having to go through something that's going to hurt. And so, God, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, let it pass. I, I'm like everybody else. I want it to pass. But not so with me because I know what your will is. I'm not going to do what I want. I'm not going to do what I'm yearning to do. Instead, I'm going to do what you want. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And I want you to know what prayer is for. Prayer is not to find out the will of God for your life. Prayer is when you know the will of God for your life and it's vastly different from your own and something's got to give. What do I do with myself when I know what I should do but I don't want to do it? You know what you do? You go to the ground face first in prayer and you get yourself to resign to it. This is how you become a not-so-with-me person. This is how you carry out what you know you should do when everything within you wants to do what everybody else does. Prayer is the secret. Why do you think Jesus was sinless? Do you remember what he told the disciples that night? Watch and pray so that you don't fall to temptation. They didn't watch and pray, and they did fall to temptation. But there was one who was being tempted more than anyone. He did pray, and he succeeded, and his name was Jesus. But this isn't the only one. Keep going, next screen. Again, for the second time. He prayed the same thing. Well, I prayed once, didn't get what I want. You know, Jesus kept going back. He kept going back because his own self-will kept coming back. You are not going to be able to kill that desire within you to be like everybody else one time. It's not going to be a one-time prayer for you. This is going to follow you all your life. To be a not-so-with-you person, you're going to have to pray over and over and over and over to kill that person inside of you. And again, he came and found them sleeping. And leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time. Same words again. This is such a battle that we're going to have to live our lives by the kingdom values and not by the values of the world that we live in 24-7. If we have any chance of success, we better learn to be repetitive prayer people. That's what prayer is for. Everybody says, well, you can change God's mind. I know God can change his mind based on prayer. But a vast majority of the time... It's you resigning yours. And that's scene number two of a Savior who, who is a not my will but thine be done Savior. Uh, not so with me. One last illustration. This is in the actual moments leading up to the cross and he's facing Pilate. I love the Pilate confrontation. It, it kind of lingers through the whole scene. Jesus answered, are you the king of the Jews, you know? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, if I, 
If I lived by your rules, Pilate, my servants would be fighting. We'd put it this way. There would be 10,000 angels melting your face. If I were playing by the world's rules, you would be destroyed in seconds. This wouldn't be happening. You get what he's saying? The only reason he's going to the cross is because he's honoring the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of men. And if he played by the rules that we all have, our, or the whole world lives by, this would all be done. This would all be so overwhelmingly simple for him. But the point is that he is a not my will but thine be done person. He's a not so with me kind of person. I'm not a kingdom of the world kind of person. I'm a kingdom of God. And God is asking me to come into this world and live according to those standards and die according According to those standards, so I can overcome them. Next screen, if you would. This is when he faces him again. Are you not going to speak to me, Pilate? Is dumbfounded. Do you do you not know that I have the authority to release you or crucify you? Are you kidding me, Pilate? And Jesus said, <laughs> "What you got, my dad gave you. You're not in charge of this thing." My father is. The only authority you have is the kind he gave you to accomplish what he wants from you, which has to do with sentencing me to death. We serve a not-so-with-you Savior. The reason we live that way is because we serve a Jesus who lived that way. The reason we can live that way is we serve a Lord who absolutely lived that way and modeled it. And we gather around a table. It's not just to be thankful for atonement. It's to get our marching orders for the next week. It's to look at him and see the kind of life he lived. And not my will but thine be done. Not so with you kind of Savior. And we, we come to that table and we're reminded of who we honor and who we admire and who we are worshiping and who we want to be like so that when we go out into the world, we'll live that same kind of life out there that we'll look at the ways of the world and say, yes, we see them, we acknowledge them, but it's not so with us. We serve a Savior who did that. And so when you leave... You see somebody who's dressed different, a different skin color from you, a different way of life from you, a different sexual orientation than you, and you're tempted, you're tempted to ignore them or even talk to your friends in a mocking way about them. Don't do that. Not so with you. Not so with you. Start a short conversation with them. Over time, invite them to church with you. I know how ridiculous that sounds. That guy who's at the stop sign holding up stop sign, or that woman holding up the stop sign. I don't care if you give them money. I don't want to use that as a money thing, but can I tell you something? Look them in the eye and acknowledge their humanity. Just acknowledge their humanity. You say, what's that going to do for them? You are acknowledging a shared image of God, and you recognize it, and you're recognizing it in them, and you're reaffirming it in their eyes. Because I see you as a, as a person made by God who has value. Just look at them and nod. Don't try to turn away. Everybody else turns away in shame or embarrassment or anger. Not so with you. Not so with you. You're in line at Walmart. Let another person go first. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. 
Gary James met me this morning. He says, I think I like the sermon. I don't know that I understood what you said. Well, here's what I'm saying. When everybody in the world acts like this, not so with you, we act like this. Because we serve a Savior who did that. If you're in the ASU football ticket line, oh, never mind, there'll not be anybody but you in that line, forget that, but in the buffet meal line, instead of rushing up and taking your spot, let others go. At the next potluck, it'd be so cool if nobody will go because everybody's waiting on everybody else to go first. You say, what's the big deal about that? It's a spiritual moment. It's a not-so-with-you kind of world we're living in, people we're trying to be. Nobody in their right mind would do that. I know. The only way to live this way is to realize that the God who saved us sent his son and lived like that for all the years he lived. And then it led to his death and he died like that. And then he says to us, I want you to be like that. And so we are capable of living this way, of adopting this not-so-with-you way of life. I've just given you three little illustrations from the life of Jesus, but his life is full of them. How did he treat that woman at that meal washing his feet? We talked about this in class this morning, with her hair. And yes, the, 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 the guy hosting the meal thought ill of Jesus, didn't say it, but I'm telling you, everybody at that meal thought the same thing. Because that's how the entire world treated her. But not so with him. Do you see this? He's constantly not so with me. I'm not following the lead of the world. I'm following the lead of my God. And it's so totally different. And it's radically different. And the world needs to see it. And they're not going to see it unless they see it in God's people. They're not going to see it anywhere else. And I hope they see it there. Now some expressed guilt and this is kind of what Jonathan was saying was here, here last Sunday you, you preach like this it makes people feel guilty when they don't I don't want you to do that because we're never going to master this not in our humanity but I don't ever want you to think you shouldn't be striving for it God's grace is enough to cover all the times that we fail in this it is strong enough to cover that but it's also strong enough to compel us to try Let's be, this week, not so with you people as we honor our not so with you, our not so with me, Lord. Everywhere from school to work to home to driving to Walmart to everywhere you go to ball games, there are moments when you can ask yourself, what would everyone else in the world do here? How can I do different? If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, make it known now as we stand and sing the invitation song.